Hi there, it's Chatty Jacks. Welcome to part two of the episode regarding the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, Sistery, all about the joy, from the podcast, Our Stories, Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Community Work. Mary Q, before Mary Peter left, he, he talked about some of the work that is more global that the sisters do, not just necessarily in our beloved communities. So let's talk about that intersectionality, you know, um, talking about working with women's issues, Black Lives Matter, Indigenous, uh, Indigenous murdered and missing women, uh, going to those marches, all the, all the horrific stories we're hearing about residential uh, schools and the murder of, of children there. So there are many, many political, social justice activities that the sisters take part in, and not always at the front. We we know that our place isn't always at the front and visible. Sometimes it's not in white face. Sometimes it's taking a back seat and, and being a quieter player, but still being visible. Do you want to address some of the things that the sisters have taken part in and why that's so important? Mm, yeah, I'd love to. And and thank you for for pointing out and reminding all of us that it, we're not always at the front. And I think that's one thing the sisters have learned over the years um, is that although we can be at the front, we don't have to be and we aren't all, and, and we're not always the right people to be at the front. Um, and so one example of that there a, a few years ago in um, Vancouver and you'll forgive me, I, I forget all of the details, but uh, word got around that there was going to be a white supremacist uh, rally at City Hall. and uh, the sisters got called and we were asked if we could come and watch the periphery, uh, watch the perimeter uh, to keep those who, because who, there was an anti-protest or like an anti- Counter-protest. A counter-protest, that's what it's called, thank you. Um, <laughs> and could we come and, and watch the perimeter of the counter-protest? And we said, absolutely you know, being people that have grown up on the periphery, we know how to watch perimeters. <laughs> so <laughs> so that was our role there. We we came, we were, we still were, uh, many of us were manifested, um, but we weren't front and center, but we were making sure that those who needed to be front and center were safe. Um, and, and, and I, you know, I still remember that day. Now, it ended up the counter protest was like the actual protest, the, the white supremacist protest was like five people, apparently. And the counter protest was huge. So Fantastic. Um, we, we maybe didn't need the safety that we thought we might need, but it was important for us to be there. So that's, that's one example where we played a supporting role and very intentionally did. Um, I, I remember too, one day in Vancouver, I got called by one of the organizers of the Dyke March, uh, Dyke Pride March. Um, and she said, can the sisters come? We're, we're worried about some protesters and some violence that might come and would really like to have the sisters there just again to watch the perimeter. And I, I mean, again, I was very honored and I'm like, but I need to let you know, like very few of us are female identified. 
Um, and so although we'd be happy to be there to be of service, I, I just need to make sure you know who you're asking. <laughs> yes. um, you know, and she was like, I don't know, sister, we know exactly who we're asking and that, you know, and we'd love you to come and, and support us in that way. And so we were able to go and, and support the, the Dyke March in that way. Um, and another example that where we were at the front, um, when uh, January Marie Lopez uh, was murdered for being a trans woman in New Westminster, um, I, as Mary Q, received a call from some of the community order organizers who were organizing a memori memorial march for January. And they asked me if I would lead the parade. And again, I my first response was, I'm not sure I'm the best person. I'm I'm honored to have been asked, and I'm even not sure how or why I was asked, but you know, I'm honored to be asked. And and the person said, you know, Mary Q, we've been talking about this and we've been asking ourselves, who are our allies? And your name has come up over and over again as an ally to the trans community. How and beautiful this, is Yeah. And this would be doing us a service. This would be helpful for us to have someone who's not necessarily seen as trans, but who, who the community knows as an ally to be at the front of that march. And and so I did, uh, and I was joined by uh, a, a two-spirit First Nations elder, uh, Sandra Lafonbois, and we we led that march. A uh, very powerful, very humbling experience to have been asked to, and to lead that march like that. So hopefully that gives some sense of sometimes the sisters are in the front and sometimes we mind the perimeter um, and everything in between. Um, and and I, you know, like I said, I think that's been an evolution in the sisters uh, as we've learned and as we've grown. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll add to that. I think that in in addition to, um, I think as time has evolved, I think we've discovered too that the, the, the sisters are in a lot of ways allies to other aspects of our community. We show up in weird and wonderful ways. And I think that's for me, that's one of the most um, satisfying aspects of being a sister is being able to to be that for for people, for our community. Let, let's dial this back a little bit and let's talk about what is the process. So the sisters aren't necessarily a religious order. We, nope. We've talked about that. But do you follow the steps of, of traditional nuns? Is there a way for me when I finally uh, belong to an abbey or a house and I start the process of becoming a said sister? How, how do I do that? How, what are the steps? If people are listening today, they don't just become, you're not just in white face, you're not just a sister, there are things you need to do. What, what are those things? What's the timeline? Um, so there, there is a process, uh, like, like Mary Q and I said, we're not a religious order. However, that being said, several members of, of the sisters do subscribe to certain religious, uh, religious beliefs and, and we embrace that diversity and we love that. Um, as far as, as becoming a, a sister house, I mean, there's, you're either in a city with a house of sisters or you're not. Um, and depending on where you are, the process is a little bit different. If you're in a city that already has an established sister house, 
um, your first step would be to get in touch with the with the house, uh, particularly the mistress of novices, and that is a uh, board member that is sort of responsible for for bringing uh, new new members into the order. Um, you would go to a meeting, you would attend a meeting, you would have a meeting with the the mistress of novices, and you would declare your aspirancy at this meeting. And from that, it varies from house to house, but it's typically a a year long process to become a sister, to become a fully professed sister. Uh, and within within that, um, you have to you know you have to do certain things. You have to attend uh, novice teas. You have to create a resume. You have to present um, uh, a novice project, um, and 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 basically build relationships with the other members of the house because at the end of the day it's their decision whether you become a uh, a member mm -hmm. did you want to add anything else to that one what's the role after novice is there fully well, professed. after novice you're fully professed but yeah the one thing i would add is that one of the reasons we have a year-long process is to give us an opportunity to learn and one of the amazing things about learning is that's a that's when you get to make mistakes. And so we acknowledge that we're going to make mistakes as we're learning to be a sister and the rest of the house, at least hopefully and ideally, is there to support you when you make mistakes. So not to judge. And, and I can tell you forget this. <laughs> yeah, we all make mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and that's, you know, one of uh, my understanding, my belief, one of the reasons we wear the white veil is to visually remind ourselves and others that we're in a learning journey and a place where we can and will make mistakes. Now, the reality is, I think one of the fallacies is when you take your black veil, when you take your final vows, your learning journey really in many ways just begins. Mm -hmm. um, so that year is intense learning. Um, and and we're probably given more latitude for mistakes in that first year. But as, as sisters, I think all of our journey is a learning journey uh, and we continue to make mistakes from time to time. Um, but hopefully we'll have gotten the big mistakes out of the way in the first year. <laughs> big yes. mistakes out of the way. I'd Absolutely. like to know what some of those big mistakes are, but that's for another podcast. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about how do the sisters once once you're a sister, are there ways to get together? Uh, what kind of what kind of beautiful celebrations do the sisters come up all together and gather and celebrate and learn more and share ideas? What are those what are those things? Um, before we move up, can I jump back and just yep. talk about the process for uh, if you're in a city without? Oh, yes. Sorry. <laughs> talk about the process without so, us. Yes. So um, there are many, many sister houses around North America and around the world. However, if you're in one of those cities where there is not a house formed yet, um, the, it's it's a different process. Uh, we have in North America, we have a uh, a council. It's called the United Nuns Privy Council, and it's basically uh, comprised of members from all of the fully professed pre-existing houses that that are across North America, and um, within that. There are uh, co-mistress of missions, so co-moms we call them, and they basically uh, take you through the steps of the, of establishing a house. Um, unlike joining as joining an existing house, which already has you know a society in place and a board and a set of bylaws and and policies and procedures, um, when you're starting a house in a new city, you are basically starting from scratch. 
you are establishing your look, you're establishing your name, you have to create your website, your social media presence, um, you have to go through the government uh, government things to become a society, to become a nonprofit, and to become a, a registered charity, um, be that a Canadian CRA registered or a 501c3 organization down in the United States. And um, the co-moms and the UNPC board guide you through that. They share their best practices. They make sure that you're on the right track, that you're doing everything that you need to do. Um, and it's it's uh, it's a very interesting process. And, uh, you know, I know Mary Q as a founder of the Vancouver House went through that and was in very um, sort of uncharted territory as Vancouver was the first fully professed house in Canada. Wow. And um, for the United Nuns Privy Council, there was a lot of unknowns about how Canadian processes work and mm -hmm. how they vary from the US. Um, We've we've gotten to the point now, though, where we have three fully professed Canadian houses and we actually have a Canadian specific um, position on the United Nuns Privy Council, which we which they call the Canadian Aid to Campy. And, um, and uh, who is that? Show that that's uh, Sister Diversity Reigns, who's a member of the Vancouver oh, House as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, they basically help with the sort of the intricacies of the Canadian system versus the United versus the American system. Um, because up until I became the secretary of the UNPC, um, I was the first member from a Canadian house to sit on that council. Hmm. Um, so there was a lot of unknowns. But like I said, as we as we go through the process, um, we learn more and more. Did you want to add anything to that? No, I just think it's really important we did go over how to start the sisters in your city if the sisters don't already start. The And the one nuance I would add on it is that the NPC and the sisters do try to have one house per city. So if there's an existing house, go and be with your sisters. And it's actually a lot easier. It's a lot of work to start, your, mm -hmm. not to dissuade anyone from doing it, because there's also a lot of reward. And, uh, and a lot of satisfaction that comes um, from doing it. But, you know, when it's three, four, six people starting out from scratch, uh, it, it, it can be a lot of work. So if there's a house, go and join it. And if there isn't and you feel a calling, then do the work to start a, start a house in your own city or, or your own place. Absolutely. And thank you so much for trailblazing for, yes. for us out here in Canada. That beautiful Vancouver house. Yes. Let's talk then. You talked about how it was something for the states and then Canada was was an unknown charted territory, so to speak. How do we get together as sisters? How do we bring information? How do we celebrate? Are there special events? Mary? Yeah, so again, every house does this a little bit differently. Um, and but at, so at the beginning of the Vancouver Abbey, we started by having weekly events. Um, we got together every Friday night and you know kind of did the equivalent of a stitch and bitch uh but sister style um and that's one how we built relationships with one another and deepened our relationships with one another it's where we came up with ideas it's where we came up with ideas that were really bad sometimes and we helped each other see that they might not be as great as they were in our heads um and uh, and that's also where we like where we developed our look was in those weekly meetings, uh, those weekly gatherings. So that's how we did it in Vancouver. 
Um, but there's lots of different ways that people do it. We also would do retreats. So the members, uh, we would get all the members together and go. Well, my fondest memories were when we did the retreats on the Sunshine Coast um, and we just would spend a weekend together talking about how we were as a group and how we were functioning as a group and also dreaming into the future and what did we want to do over the next year. Um, and like I said, every house does it a little bit differently. So, um, but that's that's how we did it in Vancouver in the early days. Yeah, and, and on a broader level, on a broader level. So um, when when houses uh, fully profess, ex equators, yes. Yeah. So when they go through the full pro the full profession process and they're granted their full profession, um, they usually hold a party. They call it an ex equator. Um, and it's where sisters from all over the place basically come to your city and you have a formal veiling ceremony and you go out and you basically show off your your house and you show off your city to to the sisters that visit from out of town. Um, you know, I remember the, attending the Vancouver ex equator. I wasn't a member at that time of the sisters, but um, I certainly went and uh, it was a great time and you get to meet sisters from all over the place. Um, in addition to that, we have every year on Easter Sunday in San Francisco, we have Easter in the Park. Hunky Jesus. Hunky, we have a Hunky Jesus contest, a Foxy Mary contest, and we just go out and we paint the town red, literally. Um, it's a lot of fun. I've gone to two of them and I'm planning on going, provided we have one in 2022. Um, and in addition to that, there are other events. You know, they, there's usually a European conclave every couple of years. Uh, I think the last one was in Berlin. Yeah, it was in Germany. Yeah. In Germany, mm -hmm. but they've had it in France as well. And you know, there are different events that that houses that houses hold throughout the year that attract uh, attract sisters from all over. For example, the San Francisco and the LA houses they do the AIDS life cycle um, that a lot of a lot of sisters travel for. There's the uh, RuPaul's Drag Con. They usually have a sister presence there. Um, there's also um, a party of some sort. I'm trying to remember what it's called. Uh, Hustle Hustle Ball in in Las Vegas, and they actually um, the organizers basically um, donate to the sisters and and the sisters from LA and Palm Springs and Las Vegas. They all get together and work the clothing check at this at this party, Fantastic. Um, which is a lot of fun. And they they pay for your hotel and 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 all that stuff. So it's a lot of fun. And there's a lot of opportunities just to network and do things, um, do things together. Uh, one of the things, one of the benefits, I guess, that they have in the United States versus up here in Canada is a lot of these houses are really close together. Um, just the geographical distance, you know, there's, for example, um, you know, states are small, provinces are large. Um, there are some states that have five, six houses, and so they can easily meet up and do a you know, sharing, do co-events together and, mm -hmm. and, and, and stuff like that. So there is really a lot of, um, a lot of a community aspect and, 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 you know, as long as you're a sister, you can go and see other sisters and you have a place to stay and you guys can go out and do fun things together. It's, it's really, it's really, um, it's really, I love it. I personally think it's great. You get to meet people from all over the world and, nice. and, and, you know, you share a mutual, um, a mutual commitment to something, you know, and it's great. Oh, I think the other thing that um, and Mary, you know, Mary Peter mentioned that we learned early on how to do guerrilla PR. 
We also learned early on how to use social media. And one of the ways we use it is for this exchange of ideas, to, to learn what other houses are doing, what other sisters are doing. Um, you know, a, a friend of mine has a term R&D, which does not mean research and development for her, but means rip off and duplicate. And the sisters love to rip off and duplicate one another. Uh, and so we often exchange information over, over social media as well. I think one of the my favorite things about the sisters is the unique and beautiful names that a we give uh, to ourselves or are gifted from someone else. My favorite name that still breaks me up quite a bit is Lois Price. I just I don't know why, but it makes She's me not it, it just makes me really happy when I hear Lois Price. And then, of course, uh, one of my absolute favorite names is uh, Diversity Reigns. I think when I think of sister name Diversity Reigns, that name actually evokes who that sister is. Uh, diversity reigns whenever Sister Diversity reigns is in an event or at an event or even just walking down the street. They are that individual that just celebrates everybody and it is explicit joy. That that name is joyful. That person, that Sister uh, Diversity reigns is joyful. So let's talk about the names. Who wants to jump in there? How do we get our names? Why do we name ourselves such fantastic Crazy. I think we should each share our favorite names sure. and talk about that. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I chose my name. I've always kind of gone with Visa Decline, even before I became a sister. I was like, if I have a drag name, it'll be Visa Decline because that's literally my credit card all the time. Decline, decline, <laughs> decline. I've made some poor financial decisions over the years. Um, so, you know, for, for a lot of it, it's it's just choosing a name that works for you. Um, we try to make sure we don't choose identical names or anything like that. Um, we used to have a big database of all the sister names uh, that we could that we could draw from. Um, some of my favorite sister names, uh, Sister Teen Laquifa from Victoria. Um, sister, there's a sister in Regina named Cum Dumpster. <laughs> um, there's also, oh my God, I know. Um, Sister Fagalatina Fish Suit, which is Yiddish for faggot in a fish suit, um, is a great name. Um, there are amazing creative sister names all over the place. And, you know, some people choose them based on, on where they are. Um, you'll notice with the exception of the sister I just mentioned in Regina, a lot of the sisters in Regina, which is the Breadbasket Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, have names that are... Um, very bread related. So there's Sister Aida Baguette and there's Sister Ida McCake. And um, there's a lot of very like, very bread related carb carbalicious names. Um, what about you, Mary Q? What, what names uh, resonate for you? Yeah, oh, and I'm gonna get in trouble for forgetting some that do, but um, I think one of my all time favorites is Sister Frida Peoples. Um, mm -hmm. the, the play on words and and the body embodiment of, of social justice is, is huge. Mm -hmm. um, Diversity Reigns is also one of my favorite and Visa actually yours, Visa Decline, the, the, because it's playful. And, and I'm guessing at some point in your life that was not playful for you when your Visa no, got declined. But she is and so where you want. <laughs> and some places you don't. Yeah. Anyways. So let's talk a little bit about we've oh. we've addressed the history. Can we talk a little bit about 
uh, there's been books written and there are documentaries. Would you like to address some of the document 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 documentaries I, documentaries documentaries? Could you could not say it? Uh, maybe I should have a Corona. Would you like to uh, let us know what that looks like? Mary Q. So first, I think it's really important as that we tell our stories, right? And I think for all peoples, it's important that they tell their stories. And, um, you know, f again, fairly early on when the sisters in Vancouver were getting going, um, we had a, a documentary filmmaker out of Toronto um, through Mary Peter, actually, uh, contact us and said, hey, I'd like to do a documentary on the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, and specifically that they're starting here in, in Canada, restarting here in Canada. Um, and yeah, so we participated in that. I, it's called Bad Habits. Uh, um, Kevin O'Keefe was the name of the producer and, and documentarian. Um, and I, I, you know, and it's interesting, it, for me, it, it was a bit of a conundrum because as Mary Peter said, part of what we try and do is put the spotlight on the community. And in a documentary, the spotlight is on the sisters when it's about the sisters. Um, but I do think it's really important that we do that because we do have a way of being in the world that I think can help more than just the communities that know us and love us. Uh, mm -hmm. And so for me, that's a way to get that out and about in the communities. Um, we also recently have had academics do work on us. Um, and oh, I'm forgetting the name of the book, but it. Um, was that on queer uh, queer theory, like on on religious queer theory, and is it a queer? Is it there? It is. Yeah. There, queer nuns. That's the name. Queer of nuns it. by Melissa M. Wilcox. Mm -hmm. Yes. And what's the subtitle of it again? It's called the the actual title is called Queer Nuns: Religion, Activism, and Serious Parody. Right. What I loved of that was the serious parody. Um, mm -hmm. James Broughton uh, is a queer ancestor, and uh, I think I think he was an honorary sister, uh, but may have been a fully professed sister. Um, but one of the things he wrote um, was, uh, uh, and this is to the serious parody part. He wrote, "Gay souls dance on the grave of the dead serious." And that really resonated with me of how queer communities protest. Uh, we often do it with color and with laughter and with joy. And I think the sisters take that to the nth degree, the nun degree. We, we take, it's very serious and fun. And that's- Can you repeat that quote? Me, Cause it's so beautiful. Sure. So it's gay souls dance on the graves of the dead serious. Wow. Um, Yes. And I do think that's how we do our activism often. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. This is a great book if you ever want to look for it. Um, I'm holding it up like we're actually going to show the video. Um, it is a little bit difficult to find in Canada, but I believe you can order it on Amazon um, as an ebook or a Kindle or whatever. Um, but I had to get my copy down in San Francisco. Mary Mary Q was talking about actually an archive, a place where he went and saw pictures. Mary, Mary Mary Peter, yes. Yeah. So and Mary Q, I think you were you had addressed some of that. Can you talk a little bit more about is there actually a place maybe in San Francisco where people can go and and view history? 
sistery for sure yeah the, at least there was so the the sisters of in san francisco have long maintained a sister archive um and you know they definitely open it to other sisters uh and i think they they will open it to other people by appointment um and it had moved so i'm not exactly sure of the current it's status moved of it twice yeah, so it was just like a broom closet somewhere in the Castro for a long time, <laughs> literally a broom closet. And uh, they've since expanded it to a warehouse. Um, they were on the outskirts of San Francisco, basically, um, but I think that they've recently moved again. So um, it does exist. It's full of it's full of uh, amazing things. Mary Peter, one of the biggest things that I think is beautiful about the sisters, and we kind of touched on it earlier in the podcast, but I'd like to draw it out of you a little bit more, is the importance of raising money, of funds development, of being present and helping organizations and small community groups get a dollar in their pocket. So can we address what is funds development and fundraising for the sisters? And are you a, a registered nonprofit organization that can take charity dollars? Well, it's a good question, Jax. Thanks for answering. You know, I, I think that that question is answered in the context of our origin. Very quickly after the first two nuns put on habits, walked up Castro Street and got this incredible response and realized, wow, this, this is something maybe we should look into. Uh, very quickly, people started also saying that they had needs and those needs had cash needs attached. So the first one of the first activities the sisters did in San Francisco was throw a softball game, a drag softball game to raise money for queer Cuban refugees. It was very low tech. It was passing buckets around, hitting people up, getting the softball players themselves to take change out of their their shorts. Um, so it was very low tech. But very quickly after, you know, with the AIDS crisis and the height of the pandemic, Folks needed uh, money for meds, for food, for transportation, to pay their rent, their housing bills when they lost their jobs. All of that was what I call guerrilla grassroots fundraising, leaning into your relationships, getting cash, getting it from point A to point B. Very quickly, within the first five years or so, we realized that if we're going to start doing something like that, the community needs to know that it can have faith in us because raising funds is also raising trust and building relationship. And so stateside, uh, San Francisco registered as a 501c3, which is a nonprofit charity. And then in Canada, very quickly, our orders started to um, incorporate under the Society Acts in the different provinces. We did that because we wanted to say to our community, if you're trusting us with funds, we want to be transparent. We want you to know that we're behaving properly, that we're filing regular reports required by the government, that we're disclosing how the money is spent, that you can go online and see what we're doing. Uh, to this day, if you use sites like Charity Navigator or GuideStar, uh, the sisters typically get a, a performance rating of 85, 90% or above. And that's because we're very low cost in terms of operating. We don't have buildings or rents that we have. Occasionally, we have to pay for the use of a meeting space, porta potties for events, mm -hmm. some, some orders by the first Wimple for their members. But outside of that, unlike the Vatican, um, 
Nobody buys us our jewelry and makeup. We handle that ourselves. So we're low overhead, low maintenance, fiscally. Emotionally, that's a whole nother podcast. Uh, sisters, very high maintenance, but we won't go into that here. Um, and I think the other thing about it is, even though we're all registered charities or under the Society Act, the focus of our fundraising has remained the same. So in the AIDS space, for instance, there are now a lot of formalized charities, the Gay Men's Health Crisis, the National AIDS Emergency Fund, the uh, National AIDS Memorial Grove. They have paperwork, they have executive directors, they have staff, they have things going on that require observance and work. Well, there are a lot of people in our communities that don't have the infrastructure, time or energy to file a form or meet a requirement to uh, get up to where they can be seen by big organizations. The sisters can see you. So a really good recent example in the East Bay of San Francisco in Oakland, there's an acute housing crisis as there's all over the Bay. Uh, and in the East Bay, it primarily affects uh, people of color and young queer people and non-binary trans kids who are living uh, housing insecure. There are government agencies and nonprofits addressing their issues, but to get the support, you often have to be at a particular uh, shelter. You have to be a certain age. You have to be someone who's not using and can prove that you're not using. You have to have some sort of mailing address. You have to have some sort of government ID. Well, a lot of people in our community don't have that because they're in crisis. So a couple of years ago, we heard of a little group called Punks with Lunch. Uh, it's a bunch of kids who themselves are housing insecure, goth, punk, kind of all over counterculture. They had enough energy to like put sandwiches together, brown paper bags, hand out lunches to the homeless people in their neighborhood. Well, we funded them and have consistently funded them because they're doing good work, but nobody could see them. We have other groups that I think of a young uh, Korean um, non-binary artist who wanted to start a zine for Asian um, non-binary young people to communicate messages of positive support. Well, no publishers, not even queer publishers were going to touch that. It was just too risky, but we gave a seed grant to let them publish their first set of zines. And they were wildly successful. Yeah. 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 So that sort of thing, I think the sisters, you know, in San Francisco, I think we've raised probably over $4 million, $5 million now in total. Worldwide, I'm sure we're close to $10 million in fundraising. That's but, fantastic. Yeah, but the nice thing about it, Jax, is most of those grants are given at like the $100,000, $700,000, $2,000 level to people who don't necessarily qualify for larger grants or more formal grants. They don't hit the philanthropy windscreen. Mm -hmm. And so we're able to get money out quickly to people who need it where small amounts make a huge difference. We don't have a lot of paperwork. There's not a lot of overhead. Uh, in San Francisco, we have four big grant cycles a year, but we also fund on an emergency basis in between. So. I think that kind of nimbleness, that lack of overhead, that that ability to see, to keep your ear close to the ground and be responsive is, a re is something I'm really proud of as a sister, but also something I think that highlights uh, to our detractors who say we mock nuns. 
it highlights that really what we're doing is we're celebrating this vocation that women have traditionally carried. Um, I use the words nun and sister interchangeably uh, because I, I don't have a lot of time for Catholic uh, epistemology. Let them discuss what those words mean. I'm a drag nun with a bullhorn and boots, uh, interested in getting stuff done. But for me, the term nun, that's a, 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 a woman identified person who chose to live a lifestyle of service, often in a cloister or a grounded community where they didn't have a lot of resources and their life was devoted to spiritual activism, to prayer and to good works. Sisters, are women who also share a vowed life. They may not live in the same place or they may, they may travel. I think about the sisters in El Salvador who were martyred fighting for the liberation of the poor against the death squads. But I think as a sister, as a nun, what I'm trying to do is take that vocation and get it outside of the convent walls to get it away from the bureaucratic structures, the misogynistic, um, patriarchy of a clerical class that mediate that relationship and just do the work directly with the people who need it. And I think the fact that the sisters continue to fundraise in a way that is grassroots, guerrilla, quick and impactful, I think it's a, it's a tribute. It's a way of honoring that vocation that women have carried in all sorts of traditions for centuries. Uh, and that makes me proud. Are, the they, other, are, these, are, the, are they raising funds at big events, like the sisters all get together and you're selling tickets to come see you, like a drag performance? Are you on a corner street with a bucket? How, like, how are you doing this? Well, every sister is different and we're nimble. So some sisters are at $500 a plate uh, galas where we're the glorified drag usherettes selling raffle tickets, you know, measured to the size of your inseam. Uh, <laughs> other sisters are calling bingo. Many of us are just passing buckets through crowds or um, on street corners, elbowing out the Sally Ann during the holidays, singing body carols, trying to get the money where it counts, not to people who hate our community. So I think in that way, we're quite nimble. Um, and the thing I like about it is, for me as a nun, raising money is really about building trust. And so I don't have a lot of overhead. You don't have to fill out a form. If you see me in the street, you know what I am. If you need something, you're going to come up and talk to me. If you can give something, you're going to come up and give it to me. And over almost 40 years of doing this, I'm very proud that I, I feel like people look at me and say, Sister Mary Peter, there's an honest broker. There's one of us who knows us, who cares about us, who takes care of us, and we take care of her. So, you know, being the executive director of a big charity, you're at a lot of chicken dinners. Um, being a nun, I'm as likely to get a check from the vice president of a bank as I am from someone sleeping rough on the corner of 18th and Castro. So I get beautiful presentation checks. I get crumpled up, wet, soiled dollar bills. Um, all the money is good. I think the intention behind it is what I care about. And that I can be nimble like that, that sisters can be nimble. For me, it's really that confidence that people have in us, that these sisters have our backs and giving to them means it's going to go to the right place. Um, at the same time, we can also be supportive of those big organizations. Um, if I was the executive director of a queer charity right now dealing with COVID, I'd be terrified. Yeah. But I can amplify their work 
Uh, if I'm pimping brochures for a big charity, I'm happy to do that. I can get myself into spaces they may not have the time or energy or relationships to get into. So I can spread the word uh, far and wide. And I think that's a very uh, big gift. You know, we, you know when, when COVID hit, sisters, just like we did in the AIDS crisis, when we got condoms out and safe sex education out fast, we started getting out prep to um, queer nurses who were short. We started getting out information about COVID. We started getting testing information out to people way before government agencies figured it out. Um, we started raising money for Navajo healthcare systems. The Navajo Nation is still waiting for the federal funds that were promised two years ago. That's ridiculous. So, yeah, so I think in that way, uh, being, a, being a sister of perpetual indulgence means you're a good little fundraising machine uh, because you're a trust building machine and you're a relationship building machine. Uh, and I'm going to keep working that uh, well till the only thing left is the boots, really. That's such a lovely statement. And I, I reflect back onto my time in Vancouver and even what uh, Visa Decline and I do here in Calgary is, is generate small dollars, but it has a big impact. We've been able to keep some organizations moving forward in some programs. And I know from my 30 plus years in the nonprofit sector, working with some of the most vulnerable people, executive directors like you like you foreshadowed here is they can't get to these things they their their focus should be on their mission and small startups like sage food bank community kitchen in vancouver one person running that and doing all of that work is brilliant and beautiful but how do you fundraise how do you communicate what you're trying to do like you said how do you get your mission across and that's a beautiful piece that the sisters play for free with joy and love community attention community activism at a, at a street level, gorilla boot level that you talked about. So I am so appreciative of all the activities and, and work that the sisters do. And I'm so glad that we could touch on that in this podcast today. Well, and my like, heart goes out yep. to the sisters who have to file the, the annual reports for the Society Act or their taxes. They, and that's a volunteer they, position, right? Yes. Those volunteers labor hard in the bureaucratic salt mines. <laughs> So I honor them and I praise them. They don't always, they're not always seen as the pretty nuns, but I think they're the indispensable ones. That's fantastic to throw that in there. When you think about your journey as a sister, what brings you joy? Well, I think the fastest thing is to say what doesn't. Uh, <laughs> haters, officious, pompous bureaucrats, oppressive government bastards, uh, self loving, hypocritical conformists, um, judgy bastards. But then apart from that list of the damned, pretty much everything brings me joy. Um, we talked earlier when we were talking about my vows, uh, I took vows of joyful service because I didn't want to promise my life to happiness, which is a fleeting emotion. Today, everything went well. I'm happy. Tomorrow, everything is shit. I'm not. Mm -hmm. Joy for me is what's left in the crucible. After you turn the heat up, you've shed all your tears, you've raged at all your screams, you've lived your disappointments, you've broken enough hearts and had yours broken. And then what's left? That strength to endure and to carry on, that equanimity of spirit. No matter what I feel today or what's coming at me, I've got work to do. I've got relationships to build. I have people to love. And I have needs to be loved 
and supported as well. For me, that's what I took a vow to be a part of. And so, you know, as I get older and with COVID, I can't always put on all the makeup and the jewelry and get out on the street. A lot of my activism has been virtual over the last year. Some of it has, I haven't had a face on or put on the pretty. But regardless, I'm just as much a sister because I understand that I'm in communion with other people mm-hmm. in ways that open our hearts, let us be honest, have authentic conversations, be vulnerable, and find the gift in one another. Um, one of the things that's giving me joy almost 40 years in, I don't always have have what it takes to give somebody something in every moment. And yeah. as a sister, what I find is sometimes the joy is that People want to give me something. Mm-hmm. So people can see today is a low day for Mary Peter. Um, in the last few months, particularly, I've lost quite a few friends in the pandemic. Uh, just as my husband says, I've never met somebody I haven't made a best friend. So that yeah. means my networks are pretty expensive. Uh, people have been really loving and reached out and said, hey, Mary Peter, I saw there was a big outbreak in Mobile. Don't you have friends down there? Um, how you doing? Or um, I'll post the memory of a sister on the anniversary of her death that still hits me hard. And people will share stories about that person. That buoys me and lifts me up. So Mm. the longer I go as a nun, the the deeper the joy cuts a channel into my heart. Where not only can the well of my own heart fill and be offered like a libation to others, but they can pour their joy into me uh, because sometimes this girl, you know, the well gets a little parched. Uh, the Trump years were hard. Uh, Almost Biden impossible. Years, the Biden years, not looking that much better. Mm-hmm. The Trudeau years, you know, he's got a great ass, but in terms of impact, unclear. So, um, Were you talking about his through. policy or his bum? Well, his bum, I think, never disappoints. The rest of him, little little mercurial. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm a socialist nun, so nobody ever quite meets meets my goals. But, mm-hmm. but I'm able to be here every day because uh, there's a lot of loving people who hold me up. And I have a lot of opportunities to check in and hold them up, too. Um, and I think for people listening to the podcast, if you, if you feel like maybe this vocation of being a crazy drag nun inspires you, Check us out. Uh, thesisters.org is a great way to get in contact. You can find us all over. But if it's not something that inspires you to, to become a nun, but it's something that makes you feel like maybe I can put a little more joy into the world, go for it. Um, those little gestures that give hope, those little gestures that say, I see you. I walked beside you. I don't have an answer today. It's, it's fucking awful. But I'm in the fucking awful with you, feeling the fucking awful. You want to go have pho. I mean, that that's enough some days. So uh, I think those things give me joy. The other thing is I'm very lucky that for 21 years, I've had a husband who, um, mm. you know, he divorced me three times in the early days in the relationship. Every time he found out just how much more queer I was than he thought, we got to the too much point, but then he came back. So we got that out early. But all these years later, though sometimes he whines about being a sister widow, um, you know, because I, I get to an event and then poof, I'm off. Uh, he's been really understanding and supportive. And um, we just welcomed his 87-year-old mom to live with us. And uh, she's a, a 
powerful lady. She came up from Chihuahua when she was 18 on a bus, became a nurse, went through two horrible marriages, got two kids through life. Um, now is in the kind of twilight years, but coming alive with us because we live by the ocean. And so mm-hmm. every day she's got the binoculars out looking at the seabirds. Yesterday yeah. we had a turgid storm. She stood on the pier relishing every wave that came up and got salt water on her glasses. Wow. Um, so to be able to hold space for that, to be able to create space for that, to be able to share space like that, that gives me a lot of joy. And to know that I've got somebody in my life um, who's taken vows to me. Uh, we've been married three times now. Um, the final time so far has stuck, despite legal challenges, courts and Texas Republicans. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's holding. But uh, I think that's a good thing. And my vows bring me joy, Jax. The, the fact that I know every day when I wake up, I am on a path. Right. And no matter what comes at me, uh, I'm going to live that path and joy is going to come my way and I'm going to bring joy to others. Well, that brings hope to all of us. Mary Peter, is there anything that you can think about that we have not addressed that you feel is important or that you'd like to share about either your journey or or becoming a sister, the value that uh, Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence bring to communities? Yeah, so one of the things that I've heard often as a sister from people in the community is that they could never be a sister. And and I want to address that because, again, I think when we are out in our habits and representing to our community the joy and beauty that is our communities, people sometimes think that's who we are. But what's important is to go back to that mirror that that Mary Peter and that mission that I wear, where any joy and beauty that you see in us is simply a reflection of the community. And so as sisters, we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be bigger than life. Um, We may look that way, but underneath it all, those of us who wear pants put them on one leg at a time, and those of us who wear dresses might slip them over our head one arm at a time. Um, We're just human beings underneath it, and we're human beings trying to be of service to our community, trying to do our own healing work often, uh, but not always. And so really, anyone can be a sister uh, that, that has that desire to serve the community. Um, and yeah, so I just hope that people will find ways to, um, feel the fear that they may not be able to be a sister, lean into it and discover that they may be one of the best sisters out there. Beautiful. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, you know, the sisters are, the sisters really are open to everybody. You know, there's, there's always been that misconception that we're basically, uh, a group for cisgender gay identifying white men and that's that's not the case you know we have we have members from every gender gender identity ethnicity um, religious and cultural background it's not just about it's not just about um about being part of the queer community it's not about being male it's it's everybody we we've even had we've had straight members um, allies that have come out and become sisters. It's it's really it is for everybody, 
Copy. You, you were telling me the Victoria sisters are mostly um, pretty much every member of the Victoria, the order of the moist Broly is a is a cisgender woman. Mm -hmm. It is an order of women and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Super um, cool. The one thing, you know, I will note is, you know, it is it does take uh, it does take a particular type of person to be a sister, right? There there needs to be that level of of empathy and compassion and you know the desire to serve the community. Um, and it's okay, you know, it's not it's not for everybody, but but everybody can join. There is no yeah, there is no restrictions, no barriers, no barriers there. Mm -hmm. When you think about being a sister, Mary Q, what brings you joy? Such a good question. Um, And, you know, I think first and foremost, it's the relationships I've built with my other sisters, that the, the notion of sorority, of, of um, fellowship, uh, although that's a, don't like that word, but anyways. Um, so first and foremost, it's, it's the sisters, um, those that I get to do this work with. The, and then I think the next thing that brings me joy is those little moments with one-on-one -on -one with individuals when they have an aha moment mm. when they and that their aha moment is that they are part of the joy and beauty that we're reflecting back um, and that they can step into that joy and beauty even if it's for a moment uh, to be more than they thought they could be and hopefully one of the times they step into it it can be for more than a moment and may even be for a lifetime when when you were talking about the joy of the sisterhood, we also the sisters also honor those that have left us and we saint people in the community. Can you quickly address that for us, Mary Q? I'd love to. So um, so the sisters of above, uh, it's a way we honor sisters who have left us, have left this plane, have died. Um, and it's a way to keep their memory alive and honor the work they did with us. Um, you know, it, it, the saying now may be a little uh, cliche, but, you know, um, I'm very aware that I stand on the shoulders of giants and those giants are the sisters that have gone before me. Uh, and so to honor them and keep their names alive uh, is one of the things we do as sisters uh, by honoring the sisters of above. The other thing we do is, uh, unlike some traditions that wait until people have died to honor them, we honor people through sainting them while they're alive. Um, we look for people in our community that have gone above and beyond, have served the community, uh, and have brought joy, uh, justice um, into the world. Um, and we honor them and we uh, call, grab them saint names, which are usually even more fun and fanatical than our own names, um, as a way to reflect back to them what they have done. Um, and as a way to the community to remember that any and all of us can be heroes and saints um, and uh, and that we don't have to wait until someone has died to tell them how amazing they are. And I think that helps with people um, feeling like what they do matters because there's nothing worse than being partaking in something and, and going home and feeling like, ah, oh, that wasn't very successful or I, I, I didn't feel like I, I did enough at that event. And I think even just showing up sometimes is enough, right? 
indeed. It's the silent witnesses to to stuff that is just as important as the loud witnesses to things. Lisa, yeah. what brings you joy? Um, what brings me joy? Well, that's a really good question. Thank you for asking, Judy. Um, <laughs> um, what brings me joy is 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 teasing you. Um, but really, just going out and making a difference in the community that brings me joy. You know, I think back to even the event that you and I put together um, a couple months ago to honor your your coworker mm -hmm. who passed away. The ability for us to have put that together mm -hmm. in two less than two weeks and raise, you know, how much money for that? Twenty seven hundred dollars or something in one mm -hmm. night was, you know, that brings me joy. The ability for for us to to uh, mm -hmm. bring the community together to to make make things better. Um, you know, the ability it brings me joy to be part of an organization with such a storied heritage. Um, you know, that has that has done so much for the community. And um, yeah, I, a lot of things bring me joy. A lot of things about being a sister bring me joy. It's almost hard to put it into words. Um, but yeah, I love, you know, I love I love this occupation, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. That, you know, that we that we are so fortunate to be able to go out and do. You know, because I, I do think that there are there are places um, where this isn't possible, right? Um, I, I mean, I'll share one example. I know we talked about how there were there were houses that were created in sort of more politically charged areas, and I I always think of we had when I was um, UNPC chair, we had one sister um, down in Greenville, South Carolina, and they literally would take the UNPC calls in their closet, in their bedroom, because they had not come out to their parents and they knew that if their parents found out that they were uh, a drag queen, queer, and a sister, that they would be um, basically shut out of their lives and disowned. Mm -hmm. Literally, they were sisters taking phone calls in the United States in 20, you know, in the, the late 2010s, taking calls in their closet for me that just speaks to there's still so much work to do and Absolutely. and and there's not there's not enough time and uh not enough resources but there is enough people that care enough to make a dent in it yeah. so i want to i want to thank you both uh for uh bringing your light and your joy to this podcast and to the broader communities and for creating uh the sisterhood that you do through drag here in calgary uh visa and and uh, mary q through the events that you that you do with everyone in toronto and and starting the house in vancouver so um this has brought me a great deal of joy and and some giggles and i've learned quite a bit about uh about the sisters and and my own personal journey to become one so from the bottom of my heart thank you very much for partaking in this podcast today my pleasure and thank you thank you for having us <laughs> all right i offer you this quote from margaret mead never forget that a small group of thoughtful committed citizens can change the world indeed it is the only thing that ever has when there is a connection between ideas and action, the humanity that is intrinsically in all of us is the ultimate winner. Folks, be the positive impact, radiate joy, 
and love one another. Please join me for the next episode of Our Stories, Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Community Work, which will be available mid-December. Should you be inclined, please subscribe to the podcast series. You can also rate us. And if you have a question or comment, please feel free to reach me at chattyjacks at gmail.com. Mary Peter, I would like you to end this beautiful podcast, please, with one last question. You and other sisters do the beautiful work of offering blessings and, as you spoke to earlier, receiving blessings, which I think is magical, heartfelt, and very sister-ish. Would you share a favorite moment when this impacted someone positively with joy? And could you also end this podcast with a blessing? But before you do that, you can marry people. When did this happen? Uh, That happens very early on. So I have a divinity degree um, and was thinking about formal ordination for a time until I realized the church and I were like two ships passing in the night happy to wave off the starboard side but then we're going to different ports mm. uh, my, mine has more balloons but um but what happened is of course when you when you walk out on the street dressed like a nun people start to ask you to hear their confession mm. people start to ask for blessings and then very quickly people start to ask you to solemnize important moments in their life uh, marriage birth death a new home an apartment a new job and so what a grace is that what what a gift i think it also what an affirmation that our right. world is not so dead we don't understand there's an energy in these moments right. of transition and change and mm. they need to be celebrated and witnessed by people mm-hmm. so um in Toronto, I started marrying people. I was very active when the NDP tried to pass the um, omnibus bill and the Archbishop asshole, uh, I mean, Abramowitz, uh, decided to tell Catholics to vote against the government and we decided to tell him where he could stick it. Right. Uh, but we Which started to take. We st- yeah, well, I'll give him a ticket. But <laughs> we, we started to do mass wedding ceremonies for people as an act of civil protest. But very quickly within those people were taking those vows in ways that were very serious and we found out that when we did that they were life-changing it it brought people's relationships to a different place so mm-hmm. i always held on to that and then i moved here to california in 99 um we've had a, a much more royal debate about marriage equality down south uh, because the hostility is baked into the government a little more deeply but we finally got marriage equality. And in California, you have to register to be, uh, if you're not part of a traditional church or temple or synagogue, you have to register to be a marriage um, efficient. And so I went through the government program, got my licensing. Uh, and so now I can legally marry people as well as spiritually marry them. Uh, because I'm a licensed minister, I'm also able to perform funerals uh, celebrations, home blessings. But in every jurisdiction, provincially and states in different countries, that component depends on your local organization. But no matter where you are, anyone who is a person of deep heart can witness, give a blessing to a moment of transition in someone else's life. 
So whether you live in a country or a jurisdiction where equal marriage is legally permitted or civilly permitted, you can still help people witness their love for one another. Mm. Um, if you're in a place where I have some dear friends in New Jersey who their, their, their mother died early in the pandemic um, and was in a refrigerator truck for six weeks because there was no space. Oh. The, the Catholic priest would not um, do any kind of a formal blessing because the diocese was trying to control spread. So I organized an online um, virtual memorial for that family uh, to, to hold space while they were waiting for their mother's body to be returned to them. Hmm. Uh, one of the first things that happened in April, uh, you know, the pandemic really started in earnest in March and April. Sisters from uh, Montreal and Toronto, Vancouver, Boston, and myself, we put together an online vigil remembering the queer people who had passed from COVID. So we did an online stream on Facebook. Uh, people from all over the world sent in the names of people they wanted to hold, and it became a healing collective community moment that we were able to minister. And here in California, during the marriage debates and since, so far I've married, I think, about 35 couples. Only one has split, so my track record's pretty good, if anybody's listening. Um, <laughs> You're the lucky but, one. Yeah, but, uh, you know, and other folks like Sister Rome and others do this as well. I think what's lovely is um, being able to be with a couple in a moment where they are publicly proclaiming with their friends and family or before the world that this is, they want this for keeps. They want something deep. Uh, that brings me a lot of joy. And then I get to sign certificates after and send them into the appropriate authorities. But I think it's just that moment of witnessing that's really powerful. And mm -hmm. we talk about blessings, Jax. I think, you know, I, I, I walk through a lot of traditions and every one of them has a different language or image system or myth of what it means to bless people. But, you know, at the end of the day, all it is is you're leaving an energy imprint on someone in an exchange Beautiful. where you want to you want to dollop them with joy. So I'm very proud as a sister to have introduced the idea of sister fairy blessings or glitter blessings. I, I received that from the radical fairies, from my fairy godparents who used to grind up the petals of all the flowers they gave each other and the ashes from sacred bonfires that they were at or the sand from beaches where they had gatherings. So I, I got that from other people. But then as a nun, I started adding, adding glitter, now uh, biodegradable non-toxic glitter. There you go. Uh, and I used to, I carry it in a pouch and when I'm out, and people ask me to hear their confession or say, sister, leave me a blessing. I get a big smooch of it and I stick it on their forehead uh, and I say words of joy and, and beauty and love and liberation over them. Uh, when I do house blessings, I bring it with me and I sprinkle it on each of the eaves and all the corners and the lintels of the house. It's wonderful. Four-year-olds love glitter. So if you want to really bless a house well, Get the four-year-old kids to get a heap of glitter, and you will be finding those blessings for centuries. They will be <laughs> everywhere. But so it's a very freeing kind of thing to do that sort of work. And really, you know, it's, it's the idea of the sacrament, that what you're doing is you're taking tangible things, and you're making the energy visible to people. You're, you're manifesting it, making it concrete. So you're, you're brushing your teeth. 
and you look down at your chin and you see a sparkle of gold and you remember the day that giant drag nun whacked you in the face with a fistful of dirt. And you go, ah, that wasn't so bad, you know? Um, I talk about it as the syphilis of the sacred world. It will travel everywhere. <laughs> oh, man, that's needed. an image. Well, and it will stay with you until the work is done and then it will release you. But uh, Do you know no what? I was, I was gifted from the, um, the 40th Enclave in San Francisco. Someone special uh, in my life at the time gifted me a vial of glitter and I carry it around my neck and when I'm out in my aspirant sisterhood it's there and it it, it 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 reminds me of the commitment and the ceremony and the joy of being a sister and that I don't walk alone in that in that joy. It, that's a particularly powerful mix I was there that was a three and a half hour ritual with a hundred people and um, what I love is that dust, that fairy dust, that glitter blessing came from glitter blessings that were made all over the world. All of those mixes come from my original starter mix wow. that itself is over 40 years old. And then wow. that day, people poured so many things in there, glitter, blessings, dirt, sand, ocean water, tears, energy, the ashes of loved ones. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that when you do that, you concentrate all the energy, you distill it down. And so you asked if I could think about some times where I've done a blessing and it's been impactful. Um, I think of two. One was several years ago at a bar called The Cafe in San Francisco during Pride. A bunch of us went in just to work the crowd, you know. And I spotted in the middle of the dance floor this young blonde kid sweaty, having a great time, totally, totally crystalled out. Mm. And, and something called me over to that person. And I remember seeing them and this look of kind of awe was on them because I don't think I was computing. I mean, when you're on meth, and a <laughs> yeah. 196 centimeter nun shows up under a disco ball. That you're on another a while. planet. That's right. Yeah. But I remember getting some of my glitter mix and putting it on their head and saying, um, your life is precious mm. and your story still has to be told. And the person you're with tonight is not good for you. And you wow, need to break free and find your own path. I don't know what made me say that, but I know that I put the dust on their head and they fell out. They, they literally fell down onto the dance floor. Could have been the meth and the heat could have been the impact, but I picked them up. We made sure they were okay and hydrated, and then I went on with my work. Five or six years ago, I was at a queer space, a retreat, and a very dear friend who folks in Vancouver will know, um, Darlene, the ambassador's wife, came up to me and said, Sister, I, there's someone here who's been asking after you. You have to meet them. I'm like, okay, fine. Go into the, the cafeteria, and there's this young person. And, you know, Darlene says, Sister Mary Peter, this is so-and-so. They burst out sobbing. It was the person I'd met on the dance floor all those years before. Oh, whoa. And they shared with me that they, that they had no idea what was going on that night, except something happened. They went back to their hotel room with their partner at the time, who they confessed was also pimping them for drugs. Um, 
And they woke up the next morning and went to the bathroom hungover and they were washing their face and they looked up and they saw the glitter running down their, the bridge of their nose, burst out sobbing, packed their clothes, left the hotel, got themselves back to Seattle, went into a rehab program, cleaned up, and all these years later had found a vocation as a counselor for other young queer people in addiction, but also found a, a desire to become a nun. So I tell that story not to claim any power, but to say we're never in charge of what's happening in any given moment. The best we can do is we can be a container or a channel of something. A little vessel. Yeah. And then another moment that really comes to mind for me. I was doing a house blessing for a local counselor here in San Francisco. There were a lot of four-year-olds. It was a lesbian counselor of a certain age who had a lot of lesbian friends of a certain age who all had kids. Uh, and there were about four of us nuns doing this work. And I kept noticing in the corner of my eye, this cohort of four-year-olds huddled like a, I don't know, like a congressional caucus committee. Um, and I knew they were thinking about something. They kept looking over at us, running back. One would like run up to us, run back. And then finally, one of them came up and was tugging on the skirt of my habit. And I said, well, hello, my darling. She's like, are you sister? I'm like, yes. She said, well, we've been talking about you. I'm like, yep, I, I got that message. What have you been saying? And they said, well, we're trying to figure out if you're a man or a woman. There's mm -hmm. been a lot of debate. I thought these are definitely the four-year-old kids of politicians because they know the word debate, just saying. And I said, well, really? She said, yes, it's been very hard. And I said, okay, well, why is it hard? Well, some people think you're a man. Some people think you're a woman. It's not clear. I said, well, what do you, what have you, what do you feel? She said, well, we've come to consensus. Again, <laughs> four-year-old knows the word consensus. Yes. These are definitely indigo children. She looked at me and she said, well, we've decided that you're a magical woman. Wow. Wow. And I thought... Wow, what a blessing you have given me to witness me in, in, in what I am trying to manifest to you. Meanwhile, all the parents have turned on their recording cameras and they're weeping. And so because then, that's the, that is through eyes of innocence and yeah. pure love radiating joy. But also insight. That, yes. That never underestimate the intelligence of young people to mm -hmm. see through the bullshit and hit the truth. So then, of course... The only natural thing to do is give them pounds of glitter dust and have them throw it everywhere. Um, I have not been invited back, back to do a follow-up yeah. blessing, but, but I do think it was well-received. Um, and then the last blessing I want to share was at a hospice with a friend who was passing away. Um, I sat at the foot of their bed, fully manifested as a sister with my glitter out. And uh, they were in a lot of pain. They were dealing with neuropathy and were going blind. Uh, we were talking about their fear of death. And, and I had shared about some of the experiences I had walking with other friends through death. And then I put the glitter in their hand in a container and I just said, just hold this for a little while. And I want you to think about some of the people who've gone before you who are in this glitter. I want you to think about this cloud of witnesses. You know, you, you said that your death, you feel afraid because you're alone, but I want you to think about this room being filled with a cloud of witnesses, these people in this dust who are gathering here to stand with you and embrace you. And there was a long silence. 
And then they asked if I would, um, the word they used was, would you anoint me? And so I, I took some glitter and I put it on their forehead and on their shoulders and their heart. And then all the chakras, just saying words of comfort. Um, and when I finished, they looked at me and they went, I'm not afraid. And then they looked through me and they said, it's so nice to see you. Took a deep breath uh, and then they, they expired. Um, I'm not crying. You are so yeah. beautiful. So I, I just think, you know, they don't teach you that in textbooks. You don't go to school for that. That's just, mm -hmm. if you have an open heart and you have tools and you just have space, this is what happens in terms of blessing and ministry and work. Uh, and it's in all these different moments of change and transition, not just marriage and funerals, but all these different moments where we can connect. I, I like to say that the reason I put on all the makeup is that when I turn a corner, I cause a moment of shock and that cuts the cord of expectation and mm -hmm. it opens the space for me to go in and work magic in a place you might not have been open to before and then pull out and let you work it through. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I have had that experience countless times and I can't plan it. I can't force it. When I put my face on, when I paint my face, I always say a little prayer, you know, may the face I paint today be a reflection of the people I will see and what they need to hear and visualize for their own liberation and healing. Um, and I'm a booga drag nun, so it's never a great face. Uh, I'm not good at powder and shade and, and blending, but I, I get the job done. But whatever that mirror is, it, it does seem to work. It, it creates that moment of connection uh, where we bless each other by being real and um, sharing truthful things. So Would that's you what comes to blessing? my heart. Sure. Would you end us with a blessing? Before I do that, I want to say if there's anyone listening in Toronto who feels a stirring, uh, we have tried five times, did a convent going there. So fifth, fifth try is the, is the winner. So thesisters.org. Uh, check us out, but we'd love to have a convent in Toronto again. All right. So we're um, recording on the feast of Saint-Thérèse de Lisieux, the little flower, uh, a modern saint who um, gets claimed by people who uh, sometimes are, they call themselves pro-life, anti-abortion. They're some of the most judgy people out there, but I like to think of this young woman who had the courage to turn her back on expectation, to devote her life to radical service and prayer, which for me is thoughtful contemplation about your experience, and who suffered anguishing doubt never was really sure if she was doing the right thing, never really was quite aware, but had the courage to say, um, live every day expecting joy. She said it in French, so it sounded a lot better, but vive chaque jour avec l'expectation de joie. But I want to leave a blessing for us. It's been a hard time. For many people in our communities, it's always been a hard time. 
for many, it will continue to be a hard time. But if this, this time of global pandemic, of powerful political and social change reminds me of anything, it is the power of waking up every day, expecting joy, demanding joy, understanding we have a right to feel joy and creating the space in our hearts and in our relationships, in our community, in our political and social structures to make that joy real for everyone. So just take a moment if you're listening, put your feet on the ground, get yourself centered in your body, take a deep breath in and exhale it. And now take a deeper breath because the first one you could always do better. And now really blow it out. I mean, blow hard like you're at the you're at the Sex Worker International Olympics. Blow hard until there's nothing left in there. And then in that moment, just focus on your breath in the in and the out. And think about that in between where you're moving from breathing in to breathing out from taking in to pushing out. That's the moment of the most magic in each of our lives. That's the moment of the most power where transformation is happening, where alchemy is happening. Things are being transformed. And you do that thousands of times a day without thinking, without even being aware of it. Give yourself a little time to be attentive to that power you carry around to transform, to change, to alchemize, to exhale all the shame and guilt you may hold in your lungs and breathe in this clear, joyful, beautiful, fresh air. And tomorrow when you wake up, breathe in a way that demands joy. Breathe in a way that expects justice. Breathe in a way that teaches hope. Breathe in a way that manifests courage. And when your breath is shaky, breathe in a way that invites others to stand with you and love you and hold you. Because none of us do this alone None of us have to do it perfectly. And if today is not the day for you to do it, trust it is the day for someone else to do it. And as our sisters in Vancouver and elsewhere say, every day know you're walking with a big 196 centimeter boots, booga, bullhorn, drag nun who prays with you every day to live in one joy, more joy, always joy it's a privilege to share time with you Jax. you're a wonderful heart-centered person it's a privilege to be in communion with you in conversation i love my sisters visa and mary q all the sisters we channel through us and i just i just wish everyone well on this podcast but also a blessing to you for making space for our community to hear one another to see each other and to witness each other all my uh -huh. relations all mine too. That was beautiful. 
Thank you so much, audience, for listening to our words today and to staying open to joy and the blessing we just received. All and joy. if you ever want to get in touch with me, I'm on Facebook as Mary Peter, M-E-R-R-Y, because there are enough Marys with an A running around. Somebody should be joyful. I'm on Insta as Mary Peter, uh, and I'm easily reachable through www.thesisters.org. Just go to the Meet the Nuns page. You'll see me. All right. Love you all very much. Thank you for this time together. Thank you so much, Mary Peter. Have a blessed day. You too.